Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Good morning, church. So we're continuing in Galatians, and where we're going to be today is Galatians chapter 3. And Paul is talking to believers in a church that have forgotten who has saved them. He's talking to a mixed group of believers, and there seems to be a group there that is Jewish, a group that are from the promised people of God, the Israelites. And they're now putting more value on the law, um, and they are treated, treating people who are not born of Israel, who are not of the Israelite people, the people who got the law, as if they are less. Um, even unbelieving Israelites knew the law. So even those who had said, I'm not a believer, I'm not following God with my lifestyle. They've grown up with the law. And some of these people would have regarded them as better off than believers who weren't born to Israel, Gentile believers who actually believed in Christ, but didn't do the Jewish things. So in a way that they're, they're forcing the Israelites, they're forcing the Gentiles, sorry, they're forcing the Gentiles to become Israelites. They're saying, if you don't obey the things that we obey, if you don't do all the customs, if you don't celebrate all the feasts we celebrate, if you don't do things exactly the way we do things, you aren't a believer. And that's what they're saying to these people. They're indirectly saying, that if you don't do these things, if you don't worship God the way that we worship God, you don't love God and God in turn doesn't love you. And so as we come to this chapter today, uh, we're dealing with something that the Israelites would have looked at and said, okay, what, what is the point of having the law? What's the difference between the law and the promise? And we're going to go through these things. In this chapter, God is, uh, Paul is reminding the Israelites amongst these believers and other believers as well, because I'm sure there were Gentiles who started to subscribe to this way of thinking. And he's saying to them, remember who saved you. Remember who God is. And Paul, I can, I can imagine Paul is outraged as he's saying this. I might be reading into it, but I almost, I almost see him being a little bit annoyed, right? The questions he asks in this chapter, in chapter 3, one of the big ones was, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law? Is that how you got the Holy Spirit? Were you such a great, um, I guess, observer of the law that the Holy Spirit says, you know what? I like you. I will choose you. Because you observe the law, I will give you my Holy Spirit. Right? And... As he's, saying, as he's saying this, and, and it's so interesting, you can think back to the story of Peter. Peter is, is called by God to go and minister to a man called Cornelius, and this is in Acts chapter 10. And he's given a vision, and he's given a, a vision of, these, of, of, of a sheet coming down from heaven, and all these animals that people wouldn't have eaten those days, Israelites would not have eaten the, those days, unclean animals. 
and it says that there were birds and reptiles and all sorts of creepy crawlies in today's <laughs> in in today's context right now if we were to think of unclean animals i think of two two come to mind bats and pangolins right things that should not be eaten but god gives him this vision and then says to him as as peter's in this vision and he talks to god and he says i can't eat those things those things are unclean and god says what i have made clean do not call unclean i have made it clean i said this is this i have purified and that was god's way of saying to peter that yes this is a gentile man that i'm sending you to these are the people that you have regarded as unclean but i want to send you to him because my love and my grace and my plan and my mission is for him and for people like him so he obeys god he hears this he sees this vision he hears from god he goes to cornelius's place he shares the gospel with him and cornelius comes to christ and his whole family comes to christ and then he baptizes them and then he goes back to jerusalem and now i guess they've already heard about what's going on because when he gets to jerusalem the the the, the believers there are outraged right they they even say, and this is, I guess, the pinnacle of the, of the outrage, and you can read about this in, in Acts chapter 11. But one of the things they said is that you went to a Gentile's house. It says this in, in, in verse 3 of chapter 11 of Acts. It says, you entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. Like, wow, you ate with Gentiles, with those unclean people? And this is, this is, this is, so interesting that it says you ate with them because early in this chapter in Galatians 2 verse 12 it says when Paul confronts Peter Peter who ate at the house of Gentiles and then um, had to face believers who were outraged at this has done the same thing again in Galatians 2 it says when he first arrived and, and this is Paul talking about Peter he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised but afterwards when some friends of, of James came Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore he was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision so this is exactly the same thing repeated except the first time Peter listened to God and this time Peter did not listen to God and he was more afraid of what people would think what Israelite believers what Jewish believers would think going back to the story in Acts Peter is now explaining to them and he says this he says as I began to speak this is in uh, verse 15 of Acts chapter 11 as I began to speak Peter continued the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning then I thought of the Lord's words when he said John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to stand in God's way? And when the Jewish believers heard this, when they, find, when they heard this, they go, okay. They say this in verse 18. When the others heard this, they stopped, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see 
that God has also given Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. There's, there's been this tension throughout history from the time that the Israelites get the law. There's been a tension between them and Gentiles, the people who are outside of the lineage of Abraham and of the Israelites. There's been this tension because the Jewish people have misunderstood what the law is there for. The Jewish people thought they got the law and that by keeping the law, they were saved. They believed that because of that, that they're completely good with God. They said, I'm fine with God. Me and my people, our nation, we're good with God because we received the law. Perhaps they thought that was the promise. Now here in the church in Galatia, we have believers who have come to know Christ. They've come to know his grace. They come to know his Holy Spirit. I'm sure they've heard of the stories of, of Peter going over and sharing the gospel uh, with Cornelius. I'm sure they've heard this, but now they're reverting back to this old way of thinking, to this way of thinking um, that has confused people for so long. And Peter now, in our passage today, we're going from Galatians chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 15 to verse 18, and we're, we're reading in the NLT. All the verses are going to be in the NLT. Peter starts to explain to them, what, what is the promise and what is the point of the law? It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend uh, an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child, and notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave to Abraham as a promise. God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Now, Paul is saying when the promise is first made, um, especially in this case, when a promise is made, you don't go back on it. And, and he's talking about God making a promise. God who is, who is never changing, who is the same, who is constant. When he makes a promise, he doesn't go back on it. He does not go back on his word. God gave his promise to Abraham about his child. In Genesis, when he talks of when he when he says when he gives the promise to, to, to Eve, and he says, Your seed will crush the head of Satan. This is the same person they're talking about. In Genesis 12, verse 3, it says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Jesus is the one to bless the whole world, not Israel and not the law. Right? Galatians 3 verse 17 says this. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be cancelled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. You see, the 430 years here is, re um, is, is referring to the time between when God gives his promise and when God gives 
Israel the law. <coughs> it says this, for the, that the agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. Right? If this was the case, God would be breaking his promise. And if it was the intention of the law to save people, then the law wouldn't save Abraham, right? It would fail to accomplish God's promise even to him. It says, for the inheritance could not be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of it. Then it would not be, sorry. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. The promise could not be through keeping of the law. Because here are a few things that would happen if that were the case. First of all, Abraham would not be a recipient of the promise. Abraham here, when he's receiving the promise, this is 430 years before the law comes. So he wouldn't be able to be part of the promise because he didn't keep the law. Right? Another thing is, Israel was not able to keep the law. As you read through the Old Testament, you go especially through the prophets, even before that, you look at a, a, a book of the Bible like Judges, where you see Israel committing these horrible, horrible atrocities against God. God sending other nations to punish them because they won't listen. They aren't keeping the law. Another thing is, the law could not bless the whole world. In fact, as the law entered the world, as the law entered the world, it shed light on the sin of people, on the sin of man. Every single person now would have to face their sin and have to face the fact that they are falling short of God's standard. For all have fallen short, every single one. And as the law entered the world, and as people would hear the law, they have no excuse now. They know what they're supposed to be doing. And knowing that they've broken the law, they are now under the curse. In Galatians 3 verse 10, early in this chapter, it says that there is a curse. That those who don't observe the law, who hear the law and don't observe it, they are cursed because they didn't observe every part of it. So... I can, I, I can see some of these people as, they, as they're hearing this thinking, okay, so why do we have the law then, right? This is, this is a horrible thing. Maybe we shouldn't have gotten it in the first place. We wouldn't have this responsibility. A lot of them are probably thinking, why was the law given? And that's something I remember the first time I was going through the Old Testament. Um, the first time, uh, as when I became a believer, I decided I'm going to read through the Bible. And I'd heard about Jesus and, and I gave my life to him. But then I came reading through the Old Testament, not having much knowledge of the Bible. I was reading through and thinking, why is this here? Right? Why did God give the law? Because now everyone has like a responsibility, but they can't live up to it. And Paul comes to this. He starts to answer this question. It says in verse 19, he says, why then was the law given? He says it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. 
but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through the angels Moses who through the angels to Moses who was a mediator between God and the people. It was given to show us that we're sinful. It was given to show us that we can't be saved by this. We cannot be saved by our own good works. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. Now many religious leaders in the time of Jesus thought they observed it perfectly. Or were trying to, to show other people that they are observing it perfectly, tricking other people into believing these are the perfect people. This is the picture of what observing God's law looks like. And Jesus, in, in, in this sermon in, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and, and, and 7, he starts to expound on the law and show them in many ways that actually you are very far from observing the law. He, he, he uses, and the two examples that stand out to me is when, when he talks about adultery and he says that if you look at a woman with lust, if you look at someone with lust, you have committed adultery. I can see all the people going, yeah, that's me. I've messed up. He says something else. He says, he talks about anger, being angry at your, at your brother, being bitter, not wanting to, to, to forgive. He says, that is like the sin of murder. I can see people going, Ugh. And then he sums it up at the end of Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. He says this, but you are to be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. I think that wrapped it up for everyone. And they said, oh, there's no way. And Jesus did this to show the people who were prideful, who thought we're making it. He gave them the law and said, this shows you that you are sinful. You are missing God's plan. The law was there to show people that they needed more, to show people that they desperately needed Jesus. That they needed the promise. See, Jesus was promised from the time that sin entered the world. God knew. God knew Adam and Eve messed up. And he knew that, that not only would they mess up, but everyone would continue in this sinful habit. That there's only one way that our sin could be paid for. When Jesus died on the cross, he who lived a perfect life, the only man to truly observe the law of God perfectly, to be tempted in every way and not fall in even one. And then he died on the cross, took that punishment, that everyone who chooses him will no longer have the punishment that the, that, and the curse that the law gives to those who don't observe it, but eternal life because Jesus has paid the price and taken the place and become our righteousness. That's what the law is there for. Paul continues and he says, is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? He says, absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, then we could be made right by God by obeying it, right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. And Paul says it here. He says, obeying the law doesn't give us new life. 
Even if it did, we couldn't obey it perfectly. The law shows us that we can't get salvation without Jesus. There's no way. And the law points us to Jesus, the real promise, the true promise, the one who gives life. So, when I read things like this, when I read stories like this, I think to myself, okay, but what does this mean to me? I'm not in the church in Galatia. I'm not trying to observe all the festivals. I didn't celebrate Passover this year, so how does this relate to me? See, the religious leaders of the time got so focused on the law, got so focused on the outward appearance of holiness, on how it looked to everyone else. And they made people believe that by obeying the law, they were saved. And would put these unbelievable, unobtainable goals for people. Be saved in this way. And they rewarded people who acted just like them, who lived just like them, who observed all the laws, who observed all the practices. They led so many people away from the grace of God, away from the plan of God, away from the redemption of God, which is Jesus Christ. And so it's very easy for us to fall into the same trap. Uh, a lot of times when we share the gospel, there are a lot of people who say, but I'm a good person, right? I, I don't steal, I don't do this, I don't do that. I go to church all the time, I pray, I read the Bible. This is such a, a pervasive thought. This is a thought that is all over Namibia. And not just Namibia, all over. But people believe that if I'm just good, if I'm morally right, I'm fine with God. I'm a good person. On the other end, people also stop themselves from coming to God because they don't believe that they're good enough. They want to clean up their lives first before they come to God. They want to observe the law so that God will accept them. And there it is, a barrier to the grace of God. Many can fall into this trap. And that's for the person who isn't a believer. But what about for those who are believers? See, we, without even knowing it, can be giving people the impression that that's how you are a believer. Uh, many believers have been very judgmental of people and have in their minds and in the way that they speak and in the way that they act and, and treat these people, make them believe that because they don't act the way Christians do, they have no place in the church of God. They have no place um, coming before God because you don't act a certain way. Externally, you're not like me. So obviously there's something wrong. And in that way, we can push so many people away. So we need to ask ourselves, do I live in a way that makes people believe that they are not, they are not good enough to come to Christ? Do I act in a way that makes people believe that they need to follow laws or rules or act in a specific way or speak in a specific way? to come to Christ. 
do I preach a false gospel of good works? Saying that that's how you come to Jesus. Do I preach it with my words, with my actions? Or do I believe in grace and live in a way? One of, one of the ways that we can do this to live out grace is to be gracious with other people, yes. But another way is for us to be open about the fact that we sin, that we have fallen short, that we are no better than anyone else. <coughs> Excuse me. That we show the world that we are transparent with where we mess up. That we're not trying to hide it, but showing the world that, yes, I am sinful, but thank God for the grace that he gave me through Jesus Christ. And that this sin that I'm committing is not held against me. And God wants to give you the same grace. God calls us to live out this grace. And that's how we preach the promise. When we speak it, when we live it, when we love people driven by that grace. And that's something that I need to do myself. There's such a temptation as a believer to try to show people that you're perfect, that you're morally right. And of course, we're trying to obey God all the time. And we, we do this to try and please God. That people would look at our, our works and praise God. But we need to be honest and sincere. To, to show people that no, we're not, we're not special. We're not like the Israelites who thought the law is what would save them. But we are a people who desperately need the grace of God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your plan from the beginning of time. From the time Adam and Eve sinned against you. And as you watched sin continue to spread through the world, you already had a plan. That the promise you gave to, 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 to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, that, that promise is you. Thank you for dying on the cross and by your grace covering us, paying for our sin, that anyone who believes in you and believes in that promise has eternal life. I pray that you would lead us to break down this false gospel of good works, of the law, of legalism. Lord, that we would be a people who are ministers of your grace, that we show the world that we too fall short, but we are saved by you. <coughs> Jesus, I pray that you would strengthen us and remind us of the many ways that you, that you forgive us daily, that we would live that grace. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. 
I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.